It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. Good evening, folks. I'm Amrita Myers, and welcome to Bring It On. We're a multiple award-winning show celebrating 14 years as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting African Americans. And good evening. I'm William Hosea. In today's broadcast, you will also hear our perspective on what's relevant in the African American world of news and local events of interest in the next hour here on Bring It On. But first, we are very pleased to be joined by Bloomington Mayor John Hamilton. Now completing his third year in office, his main focus has been on improving the economy, helping it become more equitable, more sustainable, and more productive. Also, Mayor Hamilton is committed to increasing affording, affordable housing in town. And Mayor Hamilton is no stranger to, bringing, uh, to bring it on, having joined us on several occasions to provide valuable updates and perspectives on civic matters including current programs and upcoming initiatives. Today, he has graciously carved out time to visit with us to discuss a variety of issues. And with that, Mayor Hamilton, welcome to Bring It On. Thank you so much, Emery and William. Thanks Once for again. having me on here again. Nice to see you. Has it been three years already? You mean that I've been in the yeah, mayor's seat? Yeah. Not quite, but uh, we're getting there. Coming up feels, on it now. Yeah, we're getting there. We're getting there. I think uh, your last interview was 8 January of this year. Is that right? Sounds right. Yeah, and and we began by reading your op-ed on the the trillion dollar tax scam. <laughs> that that one got passed, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, it did. yeah. yeah, that was bad. And we talked about affordable housing. We talked about the homeless community, particularly on Kirkwood. We talked about the new hospital, the old hospital, and a few others. And and I think we concluded that interview um, talking about the opioid problem. But I, I'll let you among those issues and anything else you feel important. I'll let you. Uh, uh, just start the conversation talking about what you want Bloomington to know. <laughs> well, that's very nice of you. I, I um, Boy, I can get started on a lot of things. I mean, I, I am almost three years into my tenure as mayor uh, in this term, and um, uh, every day I appreciate what's going on in the city and the people who love the city, who care for the city, who work for the city. Um, and uh, I think we're making a lot of progress on a lot of different fronts. You talked about a number of those that we discussed last time, but there are always, always challenges. You know, every time, every time I get together with mayors from other communities, from Indiana, from around the country, we're reminded of all the s pressures that are the same everywhere. On on affordable housing is a huge one hitting everybody. How do you you have a successful city? How do you make sure it's going to be welcoming to everybody in the next? year and five years and 10 yeah. years and 20 years and that's hitting every the opioid crisis continues <clears throat> to hit us um economic inequities continue to hit us you know so we've got a lot of work to do um but i tell you i also feel every time i'm in a group of bunch of mayors how happy i am to be the mayor of bloomington compared to a lot of other yeah. cities i mean we just got we got a lot of good things happening i was actually going to ask you about that conference of mayors that you attended i think that was also in january wasn't it I did go to one, a couple of them in January in the same place, in D.C., mm -hmm. yeah. So are you all dealing with uh, most of the same problems? I mean, there, there, there's probably a common denominator among all the mayors uh, 
big or small cities. You know, there there really is. One of the things uh, that you notice is almost all the mayors are focused on solving problems, just kind of practical discussions about, so, you know, how do you deal with affordable housing? What are the strategies that you have? Or how do you deal with uh, sustainable energy or resilience? Or how do you deal with public safety issues and transparency? How do you deal with economic inequalities? How do you deal with with uh, the changing economy? And, and most of those are, are very similar. Now, you know, there are obviously differences when you're dealing with um, New York City or Chicago or Los Angeles, kind of just in the scale of of what they're dealing with, or even Indianapolis or Columbus, Ohio or St. Louis, but but there are a lot of smaller cities there that we we learn a lot from and share ideas. And I learned, for example, there that the um, when you do R and D in a city, it doesn't mean research and development; it means rip off and duplicate. <laughs> <laughs> so you take ideas wherever you can get them and you copy them. You know. Uh, you know what? I ain't mad at you. <laughs> If it works, right, Amrita? Sure. You know, um, Mayor Hamilton, I've been gone for the last year. I was living in Atlanta. Ah. Um, I was on research leave, and so I just moved back in July. And being gone for a year, it's amazing how much has changed. So what do, what do you notice? What in, do you look in at? In even just a year. Yeah. Well, I moved back, and, you know, every single road in town was dug up and under <laughs> construction all at once okay here we go at yeah i know time. that was tough that was tough. all at once <laughs> um but i was also just really surprised by how many new um condo developments seem to have sprung up mm-hmm. overnight uh you know I, I came back and i said wow hang on a second that wasn't here when i left that wasn't here when i left like just everywhere i went in town there seemed to be a new building had sprung up and you know affordable housing that has all that that phrase has come up several times already mm-hmm. um, since we've started the show, and um, I wonder if we could just talk a little bit about that because, you know, we've talked about homelessness is just a really big issue across sure. the country, yep. um, and I think some of these things are sort of linking up together, right? We're talking about the opioid crisis, we're talking about homelessness, we're talking about affordable housing, and right, Bloomington actually has the highest housing cost of any city or town in the entire state of Indiana. Correct. Higher than Indianapolis, right. higher than any any place. Well, we, you know that. Yep. I know that. And um, so I'm just, I'm wondering, you know, I, I volunteer um, off and on fairly regularly when, I, when I've been living here um, at one of the local shelters. Uh-huh. And we know that a lot of the folks that end up in these shelters are people who have substance abuse issues. Um, and they're also folks who have often um, gotten out of, of jail and are having a hard time getting back on their feet. So these things are all kind of working together, right? That um, people who can't find employment, people who have substance abuse issues, yeah. people who even often if they have money can't find a place where they can afford to live or they can't pass the background checks. And so we've got this sort of inter- all of these intersectional issues coming together and we've We've got a problem in Bloomington, right? We do have a challenge and have, a problem, we, for yeah, sure. So we, have, we, yeah. have, we have challenges. And so I'm just kind of wondering if we could maybe talk a little bit about what your administration is doing, um, you know, to sort of tackle this issue of not only affordable housing, but helping folks get back on their feet who are experiencing homelessness. Sure. Yeah, it, 
it's definitely a challenge uh, in this city, uh, like many, as you mentioned, uh, across the country. Because these fancy condo complexes are <laughs> not probably a solution for these particular folks. No, I, and, and I, I should I should say when, when, when I refer to affordable housing, and I think when a lot of us talk about affordable housing, we're really referring to a big range of different kinds of housing that are serving a range of populations from uh, Crawford 2, which opened up maybe while you're gone or maybe right before you, you went, which is um, another 30 or so units of new housing focused precisely for the chronically disabled homeless population, the most difficult to serve people in our community. We now, I'm, I'm proud the city's been a partner with Life Designs and Shalom in creating Crawford 1 and Crawford 2, which is housing for many many with substance abuse and mental health issues that have been living on the streets literally for for a year or more right. uh, so so getting folks off the street and we know that works it really helps those individuals it also helps our community reduce costs affordable housing runs up to families uh, individuals who may be working many of them but can't afford any decent apartment uh, here I, you know I remind people that every night uh, several thousand people in our county go to sleep in federally subsidized housing. Uh, we do a lot uh, through the Bloomington Housing Authority to keep, and William, you're on the board there, you know that, uh, that we do a lot at that level of kind of, many of whom are working, but people just can't afford housing. And then you go all the way up to what we kind of refer to as workforce housing, which is people who may be making, they may be making the median income here, even a little more, but as you said, the most expensive housing market is still hard to find places. Mm -hmm. So. So a couple things, you know, it's a big, there's no silver bullet to this, no simple solution. But one, people keep moving to Bloomington. Students, workers, we, we, our population goes up about 1,000 people a year. So just having more units is important, getting more units of all mm -hmm. kinds, affordable and, and market rate, as we'd call it. Then we also need strategies to actually designate and create affordable units. I'm really proud in the first two years of our administration that we've completed we we created and supported 422 bedrooms of affordable housing for from workforce all the way down to crawford too uh, and we did that a lot of different ways um, some of it i will say comes because those fancy apartments that you sometimes see uh, we require them to contribute to affordable housing uh, for example the big development at eight at uh, 17th and dunn uh, uh, evolve i think they call it now is um put a million dollars into an affordable housing fund that helped Bloomington Cooperative Living preserve 30 units downtown and that helped a low-income housing tax credit deal that's going to get built on Crescent Drive get constructed so so they do all relate now but I, I have to say you know we have a lot of challenge still ahead of us mm -hmm. we have we have substance abuse issues we have mental health issues we just have income issues yes right mm -hmm. and um, uh, we've started to chip away at this affordability issue. Um, the new, the new, uh, when the city bought or going to buy 24 acres of the existing hospital as they move east of town, that's a place where we're going to put affordable housing, and we're going to be talking as a community right over the, in the next center years, of, right in the center of the city, right in the center. Now it's going to be mixed. I, I, I mean, I, what I would like to see is a mix of some market rate housing and some affordable housing. Um, we're we're working with Bloomington Cooperative Living to create another set of units of housing, and we we um, we're always working the new. Uh, this is gets super nerdy, kind of in some ways, but the new zoning code, Unified Development Ordinance, uh, which will go in front of the Plan Commission and the City Council over the next months, uh, year maybe, will include our decision as a community about how do we make sure we get affordable housing. 
it may include things like you get to do higher another story or another two stories if you do affordable housing versus what you can do if you don't. We don't have that in our zoning code now, but that kind of thing is done around the country and could be helpful here. So you, you've actually run into some resistance from the state government on, uh, I don't want to, is set-asides a good word? Inclusionary zoning, set-aside, yeah, yeah. yes, we have. In resistance in the sense that they outlawed it yeah. <laughs> when we wanted to do it. One yeah. could call that resistance. <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, that's... Why exactly? But you found ways around yeah. that. Well, that's... That's some smaller. That's right. They, a lot of cities, particularly high-cost areas around the coast, let's say, have what's called inclusionary zoning, which says directly, if you're building, let's say, 20 units or more of housing, you have to include inclusion. You have to include a certain number of affordable units in that housing. We wanted to pass that, and I made clear we wanted to pass that, and the state legislature in Indiana said that's illegal. You can't, you can't require that of people. <laughs> what we can do, however, under the law still, is say we zone this property for three stories, but if you will do affordable housing, we'll give you a bonus mm -hmm. of another story. It's like a, an exchange, uh, or you could do a density bonus. We'll let you do more units than you by right could do under zoning in exchange for affordability. And that's a traditional city kind of zoning uh, swap that we've done for lots of different things. We've done it for uh, green and, and uh, uh, park land and other kinds of things. So we're, we, we gotta work on that. So to, to further tackle this uh, affordable housing issue, I know Monroe County just started up their own affordable housing commission. Yep. Had one meeting, got another one uh, uh, coming up this Friday. I'm actually sitting on that board also. But if you could sit down with the... Uh, How many boards do you sit on? <laughs> don't answer that. Well, that's dangerous. <laughs> well, let me put it this way. I don't get paid for any of them. <laughs> but if you could sit down with the county officials, what specifically would you ask them to do to help to contribute to, to the solution? Yeah, that's a really important point, William. Um, and it's it's been made in a number of settings, uh, but it can't be emphasized too much, which is... The solution to affordable housing is not just a city of Bloomington question. Right. And it's really not just our county. It's our whole region. We, are the, we as a city are the center of a big economic region, and the housing market flows in and out of that. Um, and the city of Bloomington needs to do our part. We're going to be a dense, denser uh, urban environment, but the areas around the city, in the county, outside the city, need to do their part too to think about where do we want people to live and how do we want to structure so that people can get in and out of the city efficiently and it extends to owen county and to lawrence county and to green county to think about how do we create uh, a whole mix of housing because not everybody wants to live right in bloomington not everybody can afford to live right in bloomington so how do we create it so working with the county it's really thinking with them about the zoning that should be different near the city than it is farther out. Mm -hmm. In fact, we used to have the right under the city used to control that zoning right outside our boundaries till a few years before I got into office, the city and the county stopped that, which I think was a mistake. But uh, it's really doing joint planning on where do we want people to live. The county has a lot of land that could be used for affordable housing. So thinking about how to how to use that well.
tricky though Mayor Hamilton right because I've been having these conversations with a number of friends and colleagues and associates uh, over this past well year talking about the increasing rental rates yeah um, and the fact that in a lot of ways buying a home is less expensive than paying rent in a place like Bloomington because college college rental rates drive up yeah um, the market in so many ways but for a lot of people of color, moving outside of the Bloomington area is not an option because it's not comfortable mm-hmm. for us to live outside of Bloomington. And for people who have children, it's really not an option because they don't want to put their children into schools outside of Bloomington. And so moving outside of Bloomington is not an option for a lot mm-hmm. of people. And so that that becomes, for, for our listening audience, um, you know, when you start talking about land outside of the Bloomington city limits, and we're talking about housing and affordability, there's a lot of folks who are not, we don't have that ability hmm. to just say, well, let's move outside of the city limits. Well, and look, I think that's a, a very good point, and, and I never want Bloomington's answer to be um, what some cities have done in effect, which is, hey, if you want to buy a home or live here, they use the phrase drive till you qualify keep keep driving out from the city till you qualify for a mortgage or you're able to afford it that's that's not a good solution uh, and you know I just think that we do need to be really cognizant of the fact that race plays a real factor because I mean quite frankly right we I have I know plenty of people myself included like the, there's a joke right oh well lock your doors and don't don't get out of your car till you get to Indianapolis hmm or until you get to Louisville, or you know, you got enough gas in the car, got snacks, did you go to the bathroom, right? That you don't stop until you get to certain places, right? Because there's, there's, uh, it's dangerous, right? And so people aren't, w- there are people who look a certain way, like us, who aren't, we're not gonna buy homes um, in certain areas outside the city limits. Well, I, I guess the, w- what I would say, number one, I think it is imperative for Bloomington to um, continue to build and support affordable housing in all in all levels of affordability for, yes. for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, Bloomington is a community that has and c- needs to continue to welcome uh, all uh, here and to make it work for mm-hmm. everybody from from all walks of life and all incomes and all backgrounds. Um, I, I'm not going to comment, I guess, on 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 Owen County or Green County or Certainly Lawrence not. County. Um, uh, you know, I would say this. I would say this. Um, the future of our community and our region depends upon being a diverse, welcoming, inclusive place. Uh, and and Bloomington is, of course, deeply and front and center committed to that. And we got to work with our region to keep working on that to to improve that. Um, the affordable housing. Um, you know, uh, two two. I mentioned a couple things. One, the area downtown of the of the hospitals could be an important area to redevelop when they leave 24 acres. And there's another 150 acres 
kind of called Sudbury Farms on the southwest side near the new uh, switchyard, just west of the new switchyard park that's going to ready for redevelopment. We need as a community to say, what do we want there? What kind of housing do we want there? So that so that people can buy a home in Bloomington. There, there's not a lot of single-family homes that are getting built in Bloomington right mm-hmm. now. So Yeah. Can we talk about the hospital? Sure. So yeah. what... What actually was the main impetus for moving the hospital out to where the IU golf course used to be? Well, I don't know if I can answer that. That's the question for the hospital. I can tell you, I think, what they what they felt in that decision. It's um, just that it is really, I mean, the hospital used to be central to everybody. Yes. yes and now did. it's going to be way, way mm-hmm. out um, on the bypass. That's right. Which is, like, not central. Right. I mean, it's, it's going to be way out on one side. And so I'm just curious what kind of drove that decision. Well, I can tell you while I was campaigning for this job back in 2015, that, or was, who a, made that, that decision. was a discussion that we had. <laughs> I, I, I felt, um, this is kind of looking back a little in history, but I felt that the, the city um, and NIU Health could have could have worked, uh, and I felt the city should have. It was one of the reasons I ran for mayor, actually, should have worked a little harder to see if that hospital could stay downtown. Uh, the hospital, I think IU Health would tell you, uh, they would say if they were here that our facility didn't work, it's outdated, it's very inefficient, we need a new hospital, and it's very difficult to build a new hospital right on top of an old hospital. I, I think that's one of the things they would say. Now, I would say, you know, London did it. They got a hospital that's 400 years old. They keep fixing it, and big cities do it. But I, I, I get it, and I, I will, I will say, I believe their original plan, you may recall, was to move way up north, uh, outside the city limits, west of the high highway, uh, into an area not served by buses and other things. And and uh, in 2015, Indiana University struck a deal to keep them at least in the city on the bus line, closer than they were going to be. And I think that is better than it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it is going to be a challenge. Uh, th- there will continue to be um, medical facilities spread throughout the city, but losing that downtown, I, I'm not going to deny that that's a, that's a challenge. Um, uh, I, I do think uh, because IU Health worked closely with us and has given us a very favorable deal to buy the 24 acres that they're leaving behind, that does give the city a chance as us as a community to say what do we want there Mm -hmm. and that's a we've never I don't think as a city ever had 24 acres downtown open to say what do we want to do with it so that's an exciting opportunity but uh, IU Health I think would explain their decision that way and it's they're a private nonprofit and they get to decide where they want to go in that sense so we don't necessarily have any control over that as a city that's up to them Yes, though, going again back in history, it's interesting because we did have a say until about 10 years ago because when the hospital was founded over 100 years ago, it was it was created and supported and operated, governed by a group called the Local Council of Women who raised the money, who helped found that hospital and ran and were and ran the board that owned the hospital. They actually owned it, the Local Council of Women. And until about 10 years ago, uh, there was about, uh, how many years, eight or so years ago, there was a vote to change that governance from the local council of women to a more traditional uh, nonprofit governance. And hundreds of people turned out, and I was one of them, uh, but the vote turned out uh, to, to allow that change. So that prompted then uh, uh, this kind of tradition. And what look, do I, I don't, don't want to 
pick old scabs or anything, but but that's part of our history, and um, it is important to honor the women of this city who, after after a child was injured and then died from an accident on a railroad because no hospital was here. They raised the money and they helped found that hospital and it served uh, our community for over 100 years. And, and we'll continue that. to serve I, I actually did not know that history and I really appreciate you sharing that. It's a, it's I think a our listeners story. really should appreciate that. That's I had no idea. As a historian, I really appreciate that. Yeah. So there, I mean, now they have a lot of land out there on that old golf course to build a huge, much larger, more modern facility. Well, it's that's actually the, that's the impetus. I'm yeah, assuming. it's not. It's actually not more beds. I mean, the the whole model of hospital is fewer overnight beds. I think they're going from a little over two hundred to around two hundred, or a little less than two hundred. But it's much. They're all single room, for example. They have double rooms now. They're much more uh, modern uh, facilities. You know, if you if you were in Atlanta. You must have seen a lot of new hospitals around yes. the suburbs of Atlanta sure. as, as the healthcare system. Which yeah, we I was could... living in Decatur, so I was surrounded by nothing but hospitals. <laughs> CDC, well, Emory, the oh, VA, yeah. everything. Well, yeah. we could talk about healthcare for a long time and how mm-hmm. we're doing because, of course, we spend more money than any country on the planet, but we don't have better health outcomes. Yeah, uh, that, that, that's, that's another show. <laughs> but, yeah, you're talking but, to someone who was born and raised in Canada. We could talk healthcare oh, for a long time. Yeah, you got you got to check out uh, <laughs> who did that recent thing about why Canadians are so nice it's because we have health care we're all nice because we get taken care of so anyway very interesting well as you know um we actually we also invited your wife to come on (laughs) and uh and talk about the recent ruckus uh involving the supreme court but she uh unfortunately was not able to but she did say john can handle this <laughs> she's brilliant and you should get her on here and i know she wanted to she had a really a rugged week this week but you should get her on sometime and but it was a rough week for the legal field one week or two yeah so now that this is all over with mm-hmm. uh it's really not over with mm-hmm. because after all of the uh drama surrounding uh judge kavanaugh's confirmation um now we learned that uh Chief Justice Roberts has referred allegations of judicial misconduct claims against Justice Kavanaugh to outside judges for investigation. Now, that just totally blew me away. Number one, I didn't know he had that option or that kind of authority. And number two, uh, when was the last time we saw something like this? I'm just wondering how this is going to play out. Well, oh boy, there's a lot. That was a really rough uh, period. You know, there were some evenings and times when it was just painful to watch what was going on in our country um, and and um, I was really proud and it's it's at Bloomington again to have the kind of people who stand up and support survivors and and make clear uh, what this country m- many of us in this country believe uh, in the importance of encouraging people to speak up now so we are where we are historian you might be interested to know this too um, f- we now we now have had 50 years in this country uh, with a U.S. Supreme Court with at least five members appointed by Republican presidents, 50 mm. years in a row. Yep. Now, you might look back and say, well, wait a minute. Yeah, actually, Democrats won the popular vote in the presidency seven out of 12 times during that period. And the Senate was controlled by Democrats more than half the time. But we still have had that. And that happened because Garland, Obama's last Merrick choice. Garland. Merrick yeah. Garland mm-hmm. was not put in because if he had been put in, that yep. would have been the first time in 48 years that we had five justices from Democrat presidents. So there's a huge amount of threat from the Supreme Court right now for people of color, for women, for LGBTQ community. Of a, we'll for have pretty a, much everybody who isn't 
a straight white man. That's right. For this country that has a Supreme Court that now you really worry what kind of legal protections there will be. Uh, and a whole other area is kind of corporate uh, corporate power yes. versus worker, electoral power of... of um, union breaking. Union busting yep. going on big time. And um, so there's... So there's a lot of thinking about what do we do about that. You know, I kind of wonder, um, <clears throat> since they gutted the uh, Voting Rights Act, yep. Yep. And, and that pretty much gave Republicans carte blanche to just go and do all of this purging and suppressing. Yep. Well, you see what's happening in, in, Georgia, in Georgia, right? Oh, yeah. my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. The Secret yeah. Secretary of State Brian Kemp purging all of those voters off the rolls because he knows that Stacey Abrams is about to beat him. Right. I hope so. I'm crossing my fingers. But I'm wondering if these guys, these judges, uh, if they can see the effects of uh, them gutting that Voting Rights Act, if they'll have, if they'll be inclined to, you know, review their decisions at least, because nothing good came out of that. Well, it depends on who you're looking. I guess whether you consider anything good coming out of that. You could, you could say, well, did anything good come out out of the Texas redistricting in the middle of the between the censuses when they never before changed changed districts in the in the middle of a decade um, depends on who some people think good came out if you think you wanted more republican voters in it i will say one interesting thing buzzing around is the idea of a new voting rights act to say when people who support voting rights get in control again maybe it's time for a new voting rights act that really protects makes it super easy to register makes it super difficult to purge makes it you know, protect it, protect gerrymandering and to say we really believe in helping everyone vote and making that possible. Maybe it's time for a new vote. Gerrymandering in Indiana is absolutely atrocious in Bloomington That's alone. Right. I mean, you look at the lines around here and it's just appalling. It's ridiculous. It's, it's crazy. We, they, there's one district that's overwhelmingly Democratic and then the rest is pie shaped to, to diffuse what our vote would be, mm -hmm. to dilute it. Absolutely. When I first moved here, I took a look at the way it was shaped, and I went, oh, no, there hasn't been any redrawing of district lines here at all. <laughs> and I started laughing. Well, for example, one thing would be to push very hard to say, get reasonable lines drawn by non-political means. And some states have done that. And if Indiana did that, it would really change our districts. And, it absolutely would. And, and why wouldn't we do that? It would change our elections because dramatically. Because the majority would... Uh, forfeit some of the power that they have that's right if they if they agree to go along with that it would be uh, political suicide for some of them and uh, it would well it would dramatically change November in this state well as we said the used to say you know and still should the rule is voters are supposed to pick politicians politicians right. aren't supposed to poke, pick their voters. correct so. but you know I, I've, I believe the only way to overcome uh, gerrymandering and suppression is for us to vote in numbers large enough to overcome all of that now that that that's a major challenge though but it can be done it can be it shouldn't have to be yeah. that way but i guess that means uh voting has begun here in monroe county so everybody get out and vote that's really important. yeah the, and what's really Tomorrow. impressive is the early voting lines have been quite long in many places including here i mean all over the country the lines people have been shooting video and posting pictures oh, all yeah. over social media the lines in georgia are long are they people are angry and they're okay. out i mean the lines are long and i'm like yes they got to turn go. turn out in large force well mayor hamilton we have about we're a under minute. two minutes now mm -hmm. so do you want to go ahead and uh leave us with something <laughs> well 
Well, let's see. First, get my wife in here because she can <laughs> she can explain all this stuff better than I did. But just Absolutely. to just to close out that on the, you know, the courts. Uh, seriously, it is really um, daunting. We've made a lot of progress on a lot of issues uh, in this country, but but a lot of it's at risk. Uh, and if the court becomes an activist court that stops people, for example, from from remedying past racial discrimination, when we want to remedy past racial discrimination, when the court stops it, that's a terrible thing. If the court stops us from protecting the environment, when we want to protect the environment democratically, that's a terrible thing. When the court can roll back liberty protections for women and for LGBTQ, that's a really threatening thing. And, and I do think in the end, it is elections that have to change that over time, which means we do have to turn out. We have to fight back uh, at the ballot box. And it also, for as a mayor, it just reminds me in Bloomington, our job to keep being a community that stands up for what we believe in. And, and they don't get to tell us what we believe in. And it means fighting for an inclusive community and fighting for an affordable community and fighting. You know, we just raised all the wages to make sure everybody who works for Bloomington City Government makes $15 an hour. You know, we're working on that to, to set the pattern of that. There's wow. there's all kinds of work we need to keep doing. I was going to say raising the minimum wage is absolutely key across the country. Yeah. And we're not allowed to do that by law in Bloomington, but yeah. uh, but we can do our part and encourage others to do this. Yeah, you have to start with by setting the example. So we want to really thank uh, Bloomington Mayor John Hamilton for joining us to provide us with valuable updates and perspectives on civic matters, current programs, and upcoming initiatives. Thank you so much, uh, Mayor Hamilton, for coming in tonight. Nice to be here. I'll come back anytime. Thanks for your work at FHB, a great station and a great program. We bring it on. Thank you. And I will uh, make sure we invite your wife to come back on. <laughs> okay. So Bring It On has an open submission policy, so if you have an idea for this program, let's hear it. Send an email to our volunteer staff. The address is bringiton at wfhb.org. We want to make sure that we share everything and anything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. The email address, once again, is bringiton at wfhb.org.
You just heard Bumpin' on Sunset by the late legendary Indianapolis-born jazz guitarist Wes Montgomery from the Tequila 1966 album project. The nickname Wes was an abbreviation of his middle name, Leslie. He influenced and performed with countless musicians. Montgomery was known for an unusual technique of plucking the strings with the side of his thumb, which granted him a distinctive sound. To keep up with local news and find out what's happening behind the scenes at WFHB, you're invited to like the WFHB Facebook page. Go to Facebook.com and search for WFHB. Or you can always visit the WFHB news website at WFHB.org slash N-E-W-S. Bring It On is Indiana's only public affairs program dedicated to the African American community. Here on WFHB 91.3 FM and live on the web at WFHB.org. For Bring It On, I'm William Hosea. And I'm Amrita Myers. It's time now to give you the latest perspective on the people, news, and issues affecting the black community. For Bring It On, I'm William Hosea. And I'm Amrita Myers. Our first story up this evening is one that I'm sure is going to be of interest to everybody. Um, it's, I mean, I guess it is a sad news piece, but also um, one that's, I know, interesting to everybody in Bloomington, anyone who has an affiliation to IU. Um, George Taliaferro, first African-American drafted by an NFL team, died at the age of 91. Just someone who was just so incredibly well-known and well-respected throughout the community. From AP, we read that George Taliaferro, the star Indiana running back, who in 1949 became the first black player drafted in the NFL when George Halas and the Chicago Bears took him in the 13th round, died on October the 8th. He was 91 years old. The university spoke with Taliaferro's family about his death in Mason, Ohio. Senior Associate Athletic Director Jeremy Gray said last Tuesday, other details were not disclosed. Taliaferro was inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame in 1981. In the NFL, he played seven positions and earned Pro Bowl honors in 1951-53. He was the leading rusher on Indiana's 1945 Big Ten Championship team that went 9-0-1, the only undefeated team in school history. During his four years in Bloomington, he led the Hoosiers in rushing twice and passing once. It wasn't an easy transition. The segregation in Bloomington was jarring. And Talia Farrow told the Indianapolis Star he once called his father in Gary, Indiana, and suggested he might come home and work together in one of the U.S. steel plants. His dad wouldn't hear of it. I lay awake all night trying to figure out why he wouldn't help me, Talia Farrow told the Star, and it came to me. For the first 18 years of my life, every day I left my father and mother's house to go to school, they told me two things. We love you. You must be educated. It came to me that the other reason for me being at Indiana University on the campus at Bloomington, Indiana, was to be educated. Indiana, University, Indiana said University President Herman Wells once intervened with a local restaurant to make sure that, <clears throat> that he and Taliaferro would be able to eat there. When the manager balked, Wells said he would make the restaurant off limits to the student body, and the manager relented. Hmm. The Bears selected Taliaferro with the 129th overall pick, a potential dream come true for the Gary native who grew up following the Bears. The problem was that Taliaferro had signed a week before the draft with the Los Angeles Dons of the rival All-America Football Conference, which had welcomed black players since its debut in 1946. Taliaferro told the Dayton Daily News last year he thought about returning his $4,000 signing bonus to the Dons in hopes it would clear the way for an NFL career, but then spoke with his mother. She said, what did you promise your father? 
Talia Farrow told the Dayton Daily News, I knew right away I had to be a man of my word, so I never even bothered getting back to George Halas and the Bears. Talia Farrow rushed for 472 yards and five touchdowns and passed for another 790 yards and four scores in his rookie season with the Dons in 1949. The AAFC merged with the NFL the following season and Talia Farrow ended up with the New York Yanks for the 1950 season. Talia Farrow rushed for 411 yards and four touchdowns and caught another 21 passes for 299 yards and five scores for the Yanks leading the team in touchdowns and helping them to a 7-5 record. He spent five more years in the NFL, totaled 2,266 2, rushing yards, 1,300 receiving yards, 1,633 passing yards, and accounted for 37 touchdowns, while playing for franchises in New York, Dallas, Baltimore, and Philadelphia. He lined up at quarterback, running back, wide receiver, punter, kick returner, punt returner, and defensive back. Talia Farrow later earned a master's degree at Howard University, taught at Maryland, and served as dean of students at Morgan State. At Indiana, he also spent two decades serving his alma mater in a number of capacities, including as a special assistant to the president, IUPUI chancellor, and dean of school of social work. He was also active in helping the Children's Organ Transplant Association, and he was a co-founder and major catalyst behind the creation of the Neil Marshall Alumni Club, Indiana University's alumni group for African-American alumni. Flags on the Bloomington campus were lowered to half-staff through last weekend's homecoming game against Iowa. Talia Farrow's number 44 replaced the traditional logo on Indiana players' helmets for the game, and there was a moment of silence before kickoff. He was a mentor to me, and like all great mentors, was often one who was appropriately challenging me, athletic director Fred Glass said. Simply put, he was a great man and will be greatly missed. Indiana said Talia Farrow is survived by his wife of 67 years, Viola, and two daughters. As of October 13th, funeral arrangements were pending. He was an amazing, amazing man. What an incredible life. And life story. I met him a couple of times, but of course a lot of people here know him a lot better than that. And that was a look at African-American headline news and a tribute to George Salafaro for this week. Tune in again next week for the latest news on and for the African-American community. We want to know what you think of current black issues. Please send your comments to Bring It On at WFHB.org. For Bring It On, I'm William Hosea. And I'm Amrita Myers. You're listening to Bring It On, Indiana's only public affairs program dedicated to the African-American community here on WFHB 91.3 FM on your radio and live on the web at WFHB.org.
You just heard The Shadow of Your Smile, another classic by, classic by legendary guitarist Wes Montgomery. It's now time to bring you the events of interest in the black community from Br for Bring It On. I'm Amrita Myers. I'm William Hosea, and beginning this Thursday, 18 October at 6 p.m., um, the Monroe County Democratic Party is hosting their fall banquet, annual fall banquet. Cocktails at 6 p.m., dinner at 7. The location is the Liberty Ballroom at 2100 Liberty Drive here in Bloomington. Tickets are $70 each or $560 for a table of eight. Student tickets are $40. The Democratic Party asks that you partner with us for our 2018 fall dinner. Now more than ever, it is critical to invest in the infrastructure of the local Democratic Party, and your support enables us to support candidates up and down the ballot. Serve as a community resource, establish long-term infrastructure, build the bench, and encourage civic participation. Also, at the end of this month, on 27 October, 6 to 7 p.m. cocktails, and uh, 7 p.m. starts the Monroe County Branch NAACP 40th Annual Freedom Fund Banquet. It's at the Monroe County Convention Center, 302 South College Avenue. Tickets are $50, youth 16 and under $25. Tickets can be purchased at the Buskirk Chumley box office and online at the Buskirk Chumley website. The funds raised from the banquet financially support the branch's activities, such as a scholarship program for local high school seniors, public forums on significant civil rights issues, and support for community programs, which advances the mission of the NAACP. This year's theme is Defeat, Hate, and Vote. If you have an event or happening that the African-American community should know about, please send your information directly to the Bring It On staff. Or if you want to add additional information about a calendar item that you've heard about tonight, contact us at bringiton at wfhb.org. Our thanks to Bloomington Mayor John Hamilton for joining us to provide valuable updates and perspectives on civic matters, current programs, and upcoming initiatives. Our show's producer is Clarence Boone, with help from WFHB News Department Director Wes Martin. And our board engineer is Wes Martin. Our original theme music was created by Jamil Effiam, with additional background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB, I'm Amrita Myers. I'm William Hosea. Tune in next Monday, October 22nd at 6 p.m. for another exciting edition of Bring It On, right here on your community, community radio station, WFHB. You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.